This is the Hustler Sports 30 podcast with Justin Hershey and Bryce Smith. Welcome back. It's another edition of the Hustler Sports 30 podcast. As always, I am your host, Justin Hershey. And although we've joked about it for a couple weeks now, Bryce Smith is back with me. He is not yet abroad and still wants to talk Commodore hoops. Yeah, um, they gave me a little chance to, to have some more excitement with the with the Arkansas win, obviously followed by a bit of disappointment, but certainly a lot to talk about. So I knew I needed to come back on before I uh, eventually get extinguished. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll have to carry on without you after next week, but plenty to talk about. And each, it's just crazy. Every week on the Vanderbilt beat, it's something new and something crazy. <laughs> and so often it just doesn't relate to actually what's on the court or the field or something like that. And last week we were hit with um, this whole Commodore's care situation. And Bryce and I do want to share a little bit about how we feel about that. And um, not being in the building students wise um, for these couple of really important games. We'll get to um, the Arkansas win and obviously um, a dropped one to South Carolina on Saturday. And we're also going to touch on the women who have also started SEC play one and one, but I don't know this student attendance policy. Obviously, if you read my column, didn't sit too well with myself. Um, didn't sit well with a lot of students, plenty of friends of mine, pretty frustrated by this. I think frustrated with the entire Commodore's care um, kind of campaign in general. The idea is a quiet week here on campus once classes do start to, I guess, mitigate COVID transmission right when students get back to campus. But it's also um, a campaign that's kind of over the top of a lot of peer institutions, which I've written about. But from a sports perspective, it's just frustrating that there's not going to be a home court advantage for this UTK game um, and and this t- uh, Kentucky game. Yeah, I think like you mentioned, it's, it's pretty horrible timing. Um, got two of the biggest games of the year coming up, obviously uh, Kentucky on Tuesday, which is an, an annual um, kind of sea of blue and Memorial as it is already. Right. Uh, and then you have Tennessee next Saturday. So just a, a big bummer in that regard. And I think I echo that sentiment. A lot of my friends um, and peers were really, you know, there, there was some, you know, uh, actionable buzz that, that had been going around campus about, this Kentucky game on Tuesday, obviously the men started one and zero in SEC. Kentucky has a number of NBA guys. This is always a you know a game that's that's more well attended in the student section than maybe some of the others. So it's really you know al- along the lines of what you've said, kind of just another puzzling decision. Um, this one coming from obviously the administration at Vanderbilt. Um, I think your column really touches on a lot, and and we've we've seen some good success with it, which is, which has been fun, but just the lack of consistency and kind of, uh, you know, overhead on this decision has been really puzzling. And I think it is, has had really bad um, unintended or maybe not unintended, but, but bad consequences that maybe, um, you know, those who were in place of making this decision weren't necessarily thinking about. 
And I think one important point you made there, like we want to clarify, as far as we know, this was really a an administration driven decision. Um, so a lot of people going back and forth on Twitter and elsewhere about um, athletic director Candace Story leaves involvement. And certainly she's a member of the administration. She heads athletics. She's involved in this. Um, but I'd like to think, and I, I do believe that this was really over her head and something that even she fought for, it wasn't going to be, um, which is a shame because it is so much of the Vandy United campaign and some of the momentum that has happened in the recruiting trail has really shown a lot of alignment in that way. But this was one where it, it just seems over the top and unnecessary. And really my main gripe the whole time has been don't kick your students out. Your students are right. They're your top constituency. You can't remove them. If you're going to remove anyone, remove everyone else and let your students in. Um, and I just think the alternatives to going to a men's basketball game or a women's basketball game aren't good for public health either. And so I, I don't know, it's just really puzzling the hypocrisy of it all in terms of letting anyone from the Nashville community in while restricting students is super frustrating, especially for the two biggest home games of the year, Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, like you said, just awful timing. Yeah, I think you're completely right too. I mean, if you use a bit of common sense, it's not like the 50% of students that live off campus are just going to be, you know, cooped up um, in a city like Nashville where there's so much to do. I, you know, I, I'm going apart from even that aspect of it in terms of safety, I just think something that's kind of been a historical trend with the with the administration in the past has been a lack of care when it comes to student athletes. And that's just another, sure. you know, example of this on, on top of a, like you're saying, the students being the ones to not be let in and, and this policy kind of hurting them most of all fans, it's, it's hurting the, the student athletes that are going to have to essentially play a road game at home um, in two of the biggest games of the year. And, you know, they are going to be traveling, they're going to be practicing, everything's going to be, you know, normal for them during this Commodore Cares period, um, which, you know, obviously they make the school money. So it's just a puzzling decision it's it's really kind of tough to see after there had been so much progress and and I you know I don't think it had too much to do with the outcome on Saturday but it certainly doesn't help to just have that added distraction throughout the week I know you know at least on Twitter um there's just you know a lot of diverted attention from the actual performance of the team which is a shame because like we've said I mean prior to Saturday you know the men's and the women's team um were were on a a really nice role and, and like you know we've both kind of experienced you know being students on campus there was I think considerable considerable buzz about about both I agree and I said it on Twitter and I agree with you I don't want to keep dwelling on this and we've I've said my piece uh, with it and uh, if I'm asked about it I will talk about it in the future but not something we want to dwell on we do want to divert attention to these teams because there is palpable buzz I think uh, when you look at both teams opening their conference slates with wins over Arkansas and on the both the men's and women's side, respectively, those are big wins. And I want to start with the men's team because men's team has Kentucky coming to town on two tomorrow, actually um, we're filming this year on a Monday. And this is going to be a really, really tough game, but I want to look back at these first two sec games and kind of break down where we see the differences here. And I think it all starts with, look, it all starts and ends with Scotty Pippen jr. In my mind, I think you saw two different Scott. I think, look, he struggled with turnovers in both of these games, but I think you saw a different level of composure in that Arkansas game um, that really helped Vanderbilt win this game. But 
Let's start with South Carolina because it's fresh on the mind. Venerable comes in after narrowly beating Arkansas and Fayetteville and drops a game to South Carolina, who is an inferior opponent, no doubt about it. Less talent, um, worse resume, um, but they sped the Commodores up in what I texted you, like classic trap game, 11 a.m., all the buzz about no students there, uh, a South Carolina team coming off of, of a tough loss. It just all, it all added up. Snow was all over the place. It, it all added up for a really challenging game and the Commodores didn't win the game. Um, they've now lost four of the five games they've been out rebounded in. I think that was a huge trend on Saturday, but seven turnovers from Scotty Pippen Jr. No threes from him or Trey Thomas. It's just not gonna, not a winning formula. Yeah, I think you're completely right. Uh, total trap game and, and South Carolina just made the winning plays when they needed to, as opposed to, to Vanderbilt kind of having opportunities and not being able to cash in on them. I think of, you know, not, not to pick on, but you know, at the end of the game, um, Studi gets to the free throw line with, with the chance to tie it and only hits one, obviously he's, a, you know, one of the better shooters on the team. So that's going to happen. And it's unfortunate, but, but even getting to that point and having to kind of claw and, and work from behind um, getting yourself in a halftime de- deficit. I thought, you know, we were texting 11 a.m. start. It seemed like they were, you know, asleep for the first 15 minutes of the game. And that just kind of continued throughout. And, um, you know, I think Vanderbilt, what's really been a, a differentiator of this team from past um, in the Stackhouse era is I'd like to think this is a, this is a tough team and they've been physical and that's kind of how they've won games against BYU and Arkansas just by really, um, you know, being gritty, kind of being the one to make those winning plays. And they just got out toughed against South Carolina. Seemed like they wanted it more. Um, and, you know, I know we'll get into this a little bit too. I just, I just thought the execution from uh, Stackhouse down the stretch was not there. I, I just, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of, of kind of the, the attack late in the game. And, and one thing too, that just kind of contextually made it difficult um, was just a million foul calls. Yeah. All the refs, which kind of slowed the pace of that one. And and I think favored South Carolina, but just one of those games that, that you'd love to have after, after stealing one on the road at Arkansas to kind of really build momentum going into Kentucky. And, you know, like we've seen the last couple of years, it's just kind of a fumble of one that, uh, that you should have had. I think your point about winning plays is kind of where this game comes down to for me. I think when you look at that Arkansas game, Miles Studi has that monster block at the end. Just before that, Rodney Chapman hits a huge three to put the Commodores up six with about 40 seconds to go. You didn't have any of those winning plays on on Saturday against South Carolina. Scottie Pippen Jr. hit one little turnaround in the paint um, that cut it to two. I thought that was as close as they got, obviously, and that was as close to a really clutch play as they got out of anyone. And I think they missed Rodney Chapman down the stretch. He was visibly not himself. I mean, every time he was driving into the paint, he hit the floor. Um, you could tell he wasn't himself. He was a minus 16 in the box. Uh, and Stackhouse talked about that afterwards. He wasn't himself. And I thought Chapman had maybe his best game against Arkansas, 11 points, including that big three, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, a couple of steals, just classic um, gritty, gritty performance. But then you look at the South Carolina game, you get the missed free throw from Studi. Um, you get that bad final possession. You get missed layups from Quentin Melora Brown and Jordan Wright throughout the game. And Scottie Pippen Jr. really just playing out of control and really uncharacteristically. I think he got sped up by this South Carolina defense. And it is a defense and, and a team that plays with a lot of pace. But 
that's got to be something that's, that's addressed. And I think that really boiled down this game uh, to a loss. And I do want to talk about that stretch uh, at the end there and some of that execution, I guess. You got six seconds left and South Carolina calls the timeout. Then Stackhouse calls the timeout. What are you doing? What are you drawing up? Well, I'm just going to have a, a caveat here and say that Stackhouse is, a, you know, uh, I don't know what it is, 18-year NBA vet and obviously has a lot more coaching experience than I do. Just from my couch, um, just didn't like the the logistics of the play. Like you mentioned, there's six seconds to go. I think that was the biggest thing is, is there's six seconds to go, not three. Um, and, you know, unlike the NBA game, which is which is where I think maybe the fault kind of went in terms of Stackhouse having the, the late game experience um, here. You know, once you move the ball past half court, that's when you can advance the ball via timeout. So I, my strategy would have been um, have I, I didn't like first off in the inbounds only having one guard there. So I, I don't know why it was only Scotty could have been. I mean, obviously Chapman was out. It could have been Dezoni or Wright or someone. I don't know if I would have trusted Trey Thomas in that situation, but have, have you know, multiple guards, try and get an easy inbounds, bring it across half. Now you've probably got four seconds, ideally, um, at half court and, and run a set. I mean, that's what set Stack has been, has been best at. And then you kind of get, you know, a better look um, and not, not rushing. And I think even if you're going to go, if you're going to go from, you know, the full 94 feet um, from, you know, the opposite basket, having Scotty be the one to make the decision running full speed and, and throwing a pass behind him to the opposite corner for a, a three for, for Trey Thomas, who hadn't hit any all game just didn't add up to me. I think if you're going to, if you're going to run full court, even with six seconds ago, you want to look at something like, like a, a dribble handoff, um, you know, most famously, done by uh what was his name archdiacono and and uh Chris jenkins for for villanova that way you're getting yourself you know a guy who doesn't have to make the primary um decision with his you know his back towards where that decision is being made as he's kind of sprinting down the court um to get in so i you know i just i just didn't love it i think your point was important too and kind of goes hand in hand um with with what happened you know, Chapman being out there four and obviously with Chapman in the lineup and he was, you know, virtually ineffective in this one with, you know, the injury. And I think that that coincides with Scotty having more pressure on, on himself and, and having to carry more of the load, which isn't going to be a successful strategy every single game this season. He's, he's going to have off games. Um, and I think, you know, this was one of them and there, there wasn't enough help elsewhere. And again, at the end, there wasn't a, a primary ball handler or someone to kind of, um, be able to create other than having Pippen run down the length of the court and throw a backwards pass. And then last point on this, cause I know it's a bit of a ramble, um, <laughs> but the other aspect of it is you have a timeout. If you see that, that Pippen has his back turned and is kind of struggling to actually execute on the play, there was like two or three seconds to go to use that timeout once the play had kind of broken down um, that I think could have been used to. So yeah, that's just my thoughts, again, from the couch. But um, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. I think what's so interesting to me is, like, Stackhouse draws this perfect baseline out-of-bounds play to get Scottie Pippen Jr. a three at the end of that Temple game. Yes. Would you want a scenario where you could draw up something in the half court? And that's where I lean towards your timeout idea. But 
I think there are a couple of things here. I mean, if Scottie Pippen Jr. is going to be your decoy, then are we're giving it to Trey Thomas? I'm not sure. Yeah. Is that the right? Studi had hit four of seven threes. Jordan Wright had hit four of seven threes. I don't know if I'm fine using Scottie Pippen Jr. as a as a decoy, but yeah, that was fine with me too. Is that the right? Is that the right target for it? And I think look, Vanderbilt did something similar against Mississippi State last year. Um, where Dylan DeSue and Scotty Pippen Jr. turned it over. They were down three, I think, on the under the baseline um, on the opposite end. And look, I guess it's something they're still figuring out, but that was really disappointing to not even see a shot go up. I would have rather seen Scotty just pull up on that runner as he was just flying down the court, um, even though it would have been a tough shot. We've seen him hit tough shots. I think I do want to mention that foul point because I think that really favored South Carolina as the fouls did in Fayetteville favor Vanderbilt for a long time there, I think, in terms of the choppiness and the rhythm of the game. Um, why not just drive downhill and draw a foul? I mean, they'd called fouls on half of the possessions in the second half. I guess maybe you think the whistles are going to go silent for that last six minutes but or six seconds, but I think that yeah. would have been a potentially winning strategy. Let's and, move on. Oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry, just, just one more point. I, and, like, I, I like that point because Scotty's one of the best – in the country at finishing at the rim and finishing through contact. So if you're going to have him running down, why not go for the two at the rim and, and, you know, either force the ref's hand or, or potentially try and get an and one or a look there. Um, yeah. I think just, just pretty mystifying how good stack has been in, in terms of drawing up half court sets and sort of the failure to, to get to those at the end of the game, but yeah, let's move on. hundred <laughs> percent. So Kentucky coming to town, their top 20 rebounding team, 18th in the country right now. Obviously we know about Oscar Toshibwe. We know about Ty Ty Washington, severe Wheeler as of recording is, I guess, still questionable right now with this neck injury. So not banking on him playing. Um, how can Vanderbilt keep this game close? What I think that they've done the last couple of years is just honestly, play pretty disciplined against a Kentucky team like you mentioned they're going to have and they always have had a lot of talent but per usual it's a lot of guys that are going to put up big individual numbers so Vanderbilt what they've done well recently is is shot the three ball and, and played as a team against Kentucky and you know they've come pretty close a number of times these have been at least in the last three years that I've been here have been you know usually competitive contests um, this year, I think presents a little bit of a different challenge because I don't know that they've had a rebounder quite like, uh, in, in at least the last couple of years. Um, so that'll be interesting whether or not, you know, Vanderbilt can kind of stop that, uh, aspect of the game from getting out of hand, like you mentioned in terms of rebounding. But, um, again, it's going to be about, you know, slowing the pace, getting in their half court sets, getting open looks and kind of taking and making the three, I think. It's interesting under Stackhouse. I mean, they've, look, four-point loss and a three-point loss last year to Kentucky. year before that, they played them tough once, lost by, I believe, nine, um, and then lost by maybe 15 in another. But they seem to get up for this game, and I'm not sure what that is or what about it. I mean, it's Kentucky, I guess. But I think that's going to be key here. They've got to play with some momentum and some swagger, and I think Scottie Pippen Jr. has to be the best player on the court, at least the best guard on the court for them to win this game. I'm interested to see how they handle Toshibwe. Um, we're going to talk to Stackhouse in a little bit, get some updates on injuries, um, including to Rodney Chapman, but I'm interested to see kind of what the strategy is for him. I guess 
you know, Q on him alone could be a real problem foul wise, judging by how many fouls have been called the last two game SEC games. Um, especially when, when you, when Q was off the floor against South Carolina, they really struggled to prevent penetration in the paint and finishing at the rim. And so if he can't be out there for 30 minutes, I don't know if Vanderbilt can win this game, but I do think containing Toshibwe as best you can, and then getting a really good Scotty Pippen Jr. game are going to be the ways that you can possibly pull off this upset, I guess. Yeah, I think that Toshibwe definitely presents uh, a, a problem that Vanderbilt hasn't seen this season. And like I said, probably hasn't seen in a couple of years. First off, I mean, he's just, he's just a rebounding monster. Um, earlier in the year, he had 28 against uh, Western Kentucky. He had 20 in their opener um, against Mizzou. I think you know, what they're going to have to try and do is inverse of what you're saying. I mean, you got to try and get him in foul trouble um, and and see what you can do in that area. Have, have, have some sets where you, you get him out guarding Scotty and in, in, in in advantageous uh, possessions for yourself, because in the past, when you think about some of the guys that they've had come through there, whether it be, um, Oh, I'm totally blanking on the, the Tyrese Maxey. I'm sorry. Sixers guard. <laughs> um, yeah. Like guys like that. I mean, obviously they're going to beat you with speed and athleticism at, at the guard position, but I think it, until you get to, you know, March um, games can, can be won by big men, you know, uh, yeah. guards, guards can do all they can, but, but Vanderbilt's had some options, whether it be Saban or, or Scotty, et cetera. But if, if they're not able to, to contain Chwebe, they're not going to be able to contain Chwebe and the game's over. Like it's simple as that, I think in a, in a January contest. So yeah, I think a plan of attack surrounding him is going to be going to be the biggest thing. And um, I mean, even, even in the games that, that Kentucky has lost, he's, he's really got his numbers still. I mean, he had eight and 13 against, against LSU um, 25 and seven against Notre Dame it's just going to have to to try and be limiting his minutes, you know, hoping to to contain him as much as possible and not, not let him take over the rebounding battle. It's one you'd love to have Liam Robbins for. Um, exactly what I was about to say. Right. And, and I think you'll see more, more Taryn Frank um, and, and probably more Jermaine Mann in, in this game as, as a result of that. Yeah. I'm guessing we see more Jermaine Mann and QMB lineups in this one um, just for the rebounding presence send two guys at him I, I don't know I, I'm expecting that but certainly should be an interesting game we'll see what this what the crowd looks like we do want to touch on Shay Ralph and the women's squad as well because they also opened up their SEC campaign with a win over Arkansas at home 54 to 51 um, some really good performances from the forwards I think this is a team that's really been guard driven with Brene Alexander and Jordan Cambridge pretty much all season but they got 25 points out of Kalen Smith, Demi Washington, and Sasha Washington in that game against Arkansas. Um, 24 rebounds from that group as well. Something we've talked to Shea Ralph about is, you know, this team does lack some size um, and some interior presence, but they're really not letting it bother them. And I've been really impressed by that. Um, certainly in that first game, you know, that that contingent was, was really solid. Yeah, I think another thing that we've talked about with her too is just kind of the in-house development and you know one of the one of the forwards that I think you've really seen um kind of improve is is that freshman Sasha Washington she's was really good in that game against Arkansas and was was good again um yesterday against Mississippi State this team is is really got a lot of scrap and, and grit which I think is is well reflective of Ralph um 
you know, they, they play hard for her. And I think they kind of outplayed Arkansas in that opener and have really shown a, a tendency and an ability to kind of be able to hang with, with anyone this season and make sure that they're going to, you know, be in games with their defense and, and kind of their just energy, I think. Um, so I definitely, you know, like we've mentioned before on the podcast, I don't know that, that this season is necessarily going to be graded on, on wins and losses, but certainly, you know, still promising developments. And it's, it's gotten to the point where, where those might become a factor as they continue to win games that we weren't necessarily expecting them to. Yeah. It's one of those, we've talked about this a lot. It, it, this is a team that, you know, we have no expectations for, but also no expectations for, like, we don't know what they're going to be at all. And so I think that's the interesting part moving forward is any given night, it seems like they could beat some team or really make it a great game or a scrappy game. And I think that's exciting and creating a product that's going to draw more fans in um, mm -hmm. getting wins where you can get them in the sec is, is darn impressive, especially for recruiting um, and, and for showing that positive trajectory. I think a few storylines to watch moving forward. They've got three of their next four against top 15 teams is such as the gauntlet that is the sec and women's basketball. But I think you got to look at Brene Alexander as someone who um, has got to be a key, but she struggled so far in SEC play, just 10 of 27 shooting. Um, and the Commodores also had 20 turnovers against Mississippi State, um, one of the big downfalls for them in that game. So those are a few storylines to watch. I guess thus far, I feel like this has been a team that's competed with almost anyone they've played against. We're going to find out if that's, you know, sustainable over the next two weeks. I think funny enough, and I don't want to generalize this too far, but the the freshmen and some of the young players have have almost been more consistent than um, some of your upperclassmen. You know, like like a Brene Alexander. I think that's something that obviously she's she's been able to score the ball um, a lot, but in terms of the efficiency and like you mentioned, kind of the shooting numbers, it's something that's that's come and gone. Um, for her and, and they need her I mean she's one of their you know probably at peak probably their best score um, along with uh, Ayanna Moore um, but yeah I think just kind of like you mentioned it's it's a big test over the next week or two um, as you kind of get into these games and we saw in the non-conference that they were they were able to hang in with with a team like Arizona a team like DePaul some of those higher rated programs and and I think that they do possess the capability to, to hang in um, with kind of anyone that they play, but now it's about, can you finish those games and, and can you maybe get to a point where we do start to have postseason expectations, like you were saying about this team. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm going to be watching for, but I, I, I don't think, you know, I'm not concerned about, about them necessarily getting, getting blown out um, badly right. into these games, maybe against South Carolina, but that's, that's a whole different deal. Um, but yeah, I think just getting consistency from some of the upperclassmen and, and, and watching out and, and seeing if they can kind of finish some of these games. It's very interesting. Um, and it's something not really that we expected to, to be watching at this point in the season. Yeah. I think it's exciting to know that if you're going to turn this game on or if you're going to follow this team, it's not going to be over in the second quarter. I say that now we'll see yep. this next two weeks, but from what we've seen, there's no reason to believe that they play really scrappy defense that travels against just about anyone um, and have put the ball in the basket too at various times. So 
I think that's exciting. I love watching Ayana Moore play. She's been great. She had another 20 points um, yesterday against Mississippi State, and that's a real bright spot. I think getting Damari Flournoy back going after she was out with uh, in COVID protocols is going to be big for this team. But the recent resurgence of the forwards and um, getting Brene Alexander back on track shooting-wise, you know, they could scare. They could pull off some upsets. It's college basketball. Miami went to Duke and won the other night. Yep. Anything, anything can happen. So that should be exciting to watch. And uh, Shea Ralph has her team on the right trajectory. And uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm really sold, honestly, already, uh, which is, which is exciting. And I think Commodore fans should be in a similar boat. Yeah, I think we've talked about it. And especially when we had her on, she's just been really impressive throughout the offseason in terms of off the court. I think you're seeing increasingly the impact that she's been able to have. If you had told me this team would have won five games this year, I would have believed you. I mean, there was, when you say no expectations, there was no expectations for this team coming off of last season. And she's already gotten them in a better position than, than they've been in standings wise since I've been here. Um, Obviously there was a ton going on last season. Um, Yeah. She's been really impressive and, and it's kind of cool to see it manifesting itself already. And uh, she'll she'll have an interesting interesting SEC slate. That's for sure. Lots of hoops still to go, but four or five weeks we'll be talking about. Well, you won't, but we'll be talking about the Vandy boys, and that's exciting too. So yep. we uh, we appreciate you listening. Hopefully, enjoy our perspective on everything that's going on on campus. And uh, we'll be back next week. It'll be me, and we'll see we'll see who joins along. But plenty of basketball still to talk about, and we're looking forward to it. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.